Hello and welcome to episode one, series five of Deep Dive. Today I'm joined by speaker, educator, tech entrepreneur and AMI columnist Mark Mecki to explore why organisations, particularly associations in our case, find it so difficult to innovate, to have fun, to play. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, James. Good to be back. Yeah, great to have you. Great to have you back. Um, so where are we? The pandemic looks as though it's in retreat in most parts of the world. But now we have war in Ukraine, double digit inflation, and this very real prospect of recession, global recession. If I'm sitting on an association board right now, the last thing I want to do is rock the boat. I want to turn to what I know works and stick with it. You think that way of thinking is illusory, based on an illusion, effectively. Can you explain why you think that? Why? First of all, because the evidence is all around us. Uh, we, 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 we did once live as human beings in a time when every subsequent year, or in many, for the longest period, every subsequent, subsequent decade or even subsequent 100 years was the same as the 100 years before. You know, if, if you lived in the in the year 900, wasn't that different from the year 800? And there was 100 years of difference between those. We live, we don't live in that time anymore. We live in a time where, as we've just seen, you know, a three-month spell can, can completely change the world. We're looking at a potential blockade of food that feeds, you know, a big percentage of the world. And so that came out of nowhere, right, as we were leaving this black swan uh, uh, event that engulfed the world. So, so, so that's now just absolutely the norm. And I think it comes down to finally discarding this 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 nice sort of fluffy postcard saying uh, that a ship is is safe in harbor uh, and all of that. A ship is not safe in harbor, not anymore, right? So this idea that you have the option between venturing out and exploring the unknown or staying safe in harbor is is a, is a false. Dilemma. You're not safe in harbor anymore. There is no harbor. The only option is, the only choice really is which route do I take? That's the choice now, not whether to stay in harbor or venture out. And so that's something that, that, that they have to, they as in all of us, myself included, day to day, we have to get used to and act on. Mm. So staying still is not an option. You have to, there's no longer safety in doing nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's just the, 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 the idea of staying still is not even feasible. It's, it's just, it is, even in a physical sense, don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but even in a physical sense, it's, it is an illusion. Like when you, when you think you're standing still, you're actually hurtling to, through space on, on a big giant ball. So you, you, you never, there is no such thing as standing still. It's just letting go of the illusion is, is what we need to, what we need to get to. You know? Clearly, that's a very powerful illusion, isn't it? Um, of course. Why? Where does it come from and why do associations, not just associations, but any organization, find it so difficult to let go of this illusion? Well, because I, I guess it's the oldest instinct in the book is, is if, if you, you, know, you don't know the things that you don't know. And, and so you, you're unaware of the threats that you're unaware of. Those things that are lurking around the corner that you don't know are eventually going to get you. You're unaware of those, so you're not acting on them. You're not acting on threats that you haven't really recognized. But that doesn't mean those threats aren't there. That's, again, the problem. The, the threats are very real. Any next event can, can be 
can spell trouble to whatever extent for an association. It can tr spell trouble for the whole industry. And it doesn't need to be black swan events. It can be smaller things that come out, out of nowhere. So it's just that, yeah, why are they not doing enough? Because I don't think they feel the threat. It's that, you know, boiling frog syndrome. You know, we're slowly being boiled into oblivion. And that's, that's the reality of it. And that's very dangerous because by the time, if you are that frog and you are boiling and you realize there's no way out of that, out of that, that container, that pot, that's too late, you know? Mm. I think we saw during the pandemic, didn't we, that the association that did best had already instilled a culture of change and adaptability and innovation into their into their organization they were able to quickly look at the situation and do something about it so it's that it's a, it, we're talking about instilling a culture aren't we it's not something you have to do as such it's a, it's a way of thinking more than a, a roadmap of things to do absolutely it's it's mostly a mental framework it's it's the, the topic i talk about most that iterative flexible mental framework where you say i'm going to be running by default, as a, as, a, as a mindset, I'm going to be running frequent experiments. I'm going to be human-centric and, and observational to, to learn where I might innovate. So rather than always being the one who speak and disseminate information, but that's what associations typically think they're for, to, to disseminate information and all of that. Why don't you start listening? And more importantly, why don't you start observing? You know, And then innovations happen. Like one one example of that that keeps sticking in my mind, not because it's a bad example of innovation, it's a great example of innovation, but the fact that it was highlighted several times on, on LinkedIn and social media and celebrated as some kind of a genius idea just shows how infrequently these things happen. And that's that concept that now, when we go back to real life and as we have, which is great, um, someone came up with the idea of when you fill your own cup, uh, you have a drink, like, whatever, with, with other people sort of mixing and mingling. You, you, you grab a cup, but instead of everyone having the same access to the same cup, you have different colored cups, and on the cup is written the, your preferred topic of conversation. So oh, yeah, when, you, when this, people, yeah. you, you probably saw that. And so mm. I, I'm not knocking that. I'm not belittle, belittling it. Mm. On the contrary, it's a great innovation. But the fact that it was celebrated as some kind of <laughs> amazing innovation just shows you how infrequently it really happens right. because honestly to be to to have arrived in the year 2022 and having to celebrate you know words on cups mm. just demonstrates the point to me do you think one of the reasons people don't adopt a kind of innovative way of working is because it sounds exhausting and it sounds like hard work and unless you're really passionately invested in what you do, it's easier, frankly, just to keep on doing what you already do. Yeah, it, it, it's a big misconception around innovation, as if innovation is some task to be completed. But innovation, if you, if you reverse engineer it, there's sort of multiple layers to it. You know, at, 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 at the bottom of that pyramid, if you want, at the deepest, deepest level within every human being, it's about unlocking inner resourcefulness. Like, like a child. A child's resourcefulness is always open until we knock it out of them in school. But okay, it's always open. And that inner resourcefulness leads to what we call creativity. Creativity mm. is the second level. And creativity is the, 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 the thing, the concept that leads to innovation because it is a natural state for human beings to be in. It's not a thing that you 
do or practice. It's a, it's a natural state that you're in. People conflate innovation with, an, with a task, with an act, where really, at its core, it is the most enjoyable thing to do because it's our natural state of being. It's the thing that everyone does when you're not too busy doing other stuff. And that's the problem. We, we've accepted in, in the associations world, for sure, as well, in the event space, you know, we are completely, and you see, see it go, coming back now, completely output-driven. Everything is about output, just output. Like, you know, produce output all the time, leaving virtually no time for that state of being that is our natural state of being since we were born. Mm. And that is that flow of creativity which leads to innovation. So innovation is just another word for play. Just mm. play in a, in a professional context. And what is not fun about playing? Everyone loves to play. You shouldn't right. have to be convinced to play. We just have to teach people or re relearn what that actually means. Relearn what that actually means. That's interesting because I my daughter is uh, eight years old and she loves to make things. And she'll just get bits of scrap from anywhere, from the recycling bin, wherever. She comes up with a yogurt pot, bits of old card, sellotape, and then she just starts to make something. And there's no, you can tell there's no real thinking. She's just in a zone and she's, she's making something and it's all, the process is everything. She's enjoying the process and she's trusting that the process will result in something that she can be proud of. And if it doesn't, she just rips it up and starts again. But eventually she's, she's made something quite beautiful often. And it's that, isn't it? It's that kind of just being confident enough that something will come out of this if you, if you sort of allow it to. Yeah, exactly. And, and the example you gave is is universal. It doesn't matter which culture you go into. I, I'm currently coaching one of the, the largest mining companies in the world on multiple cohorts on innovation. They're being challenged to innovate as every company is, as we said it earlier. And so the same example came up in multiple cohorts is we talked about this iterative process. And funny enough, because you mentioned it, that same example came up a couple of days ago when someone very senior said, yeah, I've also noticed that when I, when I unpack something like an Amazon box or I get something new delivered, my kids run up because they don't care about the, the product. They don't want the product. They want the box. Mm. They come and like, you know, dad, I want the box. And I know that's true because every time I unwrap some, uh, some new gadget because I'm a total nerd and I love gadgets, too, way too much. But when I unwrap it and I, I have the box, my daughter will come and, and collect the box and she will turn it into, I mean, the last one was a spaceship for minions. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and you, 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 can't, you, you can't put that down on the contrary. You have to encourage that. The problem is, again, that we get that knocked out of us. As I call it, the doctrine of perfectionism that, that comes in when we go to school told, you know, don't fail, execute properly, always prepare very carefully, try to mitigate risk, all of that stuff, mm. the doctrine of perfectionism. But that's an override of our natural state. It's an override. It's a, it's a reprogramming of our natural state as kids when we are natural born uh, innovators, like your daughter, like my daughter, like anyone's son mm. and daughter. So what, what often happens when companies or boards meet is that they decide to have an away day or some kind of 
you know, let's let's get out of the office, let's get out of, and and uh, and go and brainstorm somewhere. And then often that's kind of forgotten about within two weeks, and it's all back to the same old routine. What what's going wrong there? Well, what's going wrong is is that you've conditioned everyone to think of creativity as an act rather than a state of being. Let, let's go and do that thing that that makes people creative and innovate. I, I dare anyone, you don't even have to go to the forest. I dare anyone to just go for a walk outside. And then the moment you walk out, say, oh, right, I'm going to do a 10 minute walk. And in those 10 minutes, I'm going to be creative. Well, good luck. <laughs> it, it doesn't mm. work that way. The only thing that you can hope to do on that walk is to let go of everything that you were thinking about, extend your walk, make it from 10 minutes to an hour, include the natural environment, or as I'd like to call it now, the nature verse, um, mm. you know, include that. And then, and then, then, then you have a chance that, that those layers that I was talking about start on opening the inner resourcefulness that leads to creativity. And then suddenly you have an idea. And you can, you can also help that along. Like, for example, one of the exercises that I do both in my design thinking training with companies, but for myself as well, to flex that muscle. And that's the key here. You can't plan and demarcate creative periods. You can only help people to tap into that flow. Mm. And, and so one of the things I do, for example, one of the exercises... I do for myself is I go outside if I'm on a walk or whatever, and I'll see two random concepts, two things I see in the street. And in my mind, I have to find a way to put them together into a product or a service or a cool idea, whatever that is. So I, you know, one, of the, one of the things that came up was I saw a, a juicer in a, in a shop window and I saw a parked bicycle. And so I had to put those two together. And they're very disparate concepts. Yeah. But before, before you know it, in my, in my mind, because I live in, I spend a lot of time here in Barcelona, when I'm not in the Middle East. And so it was like, okay, you know, you could, you could mount that juicer on the back of the bike, cycle, through, cycle to local fruit shops, because we have many, and start doing smoothies on the go by the beach. Right. And then just cycle back to the fruit shop. And you, you'd never run out of supply. Because you're mobile and you have a juicer and you, you know, so it's so a silly example, but honestly, an actual potential innovation, you know, yeah. why not? So, you, so, so yeah. you said you can't, you said you can't, you can't plan innovation, but you, you're saying that actually you do need to find time in your schedule to, to, to facilitate it in a way and allow time Absolutely. for the juices to get flowing. So would you advise um, association CEOs, executive directors or board members to look at their calendar, their seven-day calendar rather, and build time in for this kind of thing? Yes. The short answer is yes. And I, I am absolutely convinced that we will get to the point where, not yet, we're still evolving. It takes time. It's very hard, very difficult to do. We're talking about this from an individual perspective, and it's hard enough. So as an organization, I completely understand and respect it's not that simple, but you, we should get to a point, and it sounds outrageous now, but it is. it used to be how we lived for thousands of years. You need to get to at least 50% execution, 50% contemplation. Mm. That's what you should be striving for. Not, not that, a weekend. Would, not, yeah, that's probably sorry. just saying that. I can imagine a lot of bean counters... Just going, what? That sounds, no, we need, we need productivity, productivity, productivity. Oh, of course. We need I mean, to be doing sounds, stuff. 
it sounds absolutely outrageous if you if you if you say these things. But then when you start looking back at where great innovations come from, the real world changing things, and I'm not suggesting everyone needs to be a world changer. We can just be micro life changers, change your own life, you know, or that of another person or your association, which in many cases, just a handful of people from many associations. But all of these great innovations, all of them came about through that mechanism of contemplation. You know, if you think of we think of Tesla now being a car, but obviously there was an there was an actual Tesla. Like you know that that genius came from wandering about. Mm. That, that you know Darwin, Einstein, you name them, any of them, are all people who, to some extent, had that balance of fifty percent contemplation, fifty percent execution. Every single time, no matter where you look, that is the case. So I don't. I have evidence on my side. Here, very strong evidence to make that mm. argument. It, I don't pluck it out of thin air. And so I understand that you can't do a paradigm shift where you go from output-driven working, as we do now, got to do this and this and annual reports and this. I get it. But we should at least aim for the 50% so that hopefully, hopefully in the relatively short term, you can land at 20%. Mm. Output-driven thinking output driven economies seem to be a hangover from the industrial revolution don't they it seems to be a hangover from factories going in making stuff clocking in clocking off and uh, the shift to the knowledge economy the more intellectual economy doesn't seem to have there seems to be a, a lag there we don't seem to have adjusted definitely. our way of thinking yeah definitely and and so so we, we're stuck with that you're very right with that industrial uh, revolution level thinking when we we had to have the discipline to be output driven to create all these conveniences and infrastructure that we did manage to build and most of which is good depending on how you look at it or at least necessary but we are now at a period where we are starting to transcend that or at least we have the capabilities but not the mindset to transcend it the reality is that much of the productivity, what we think of now as productivity, is not productive at all. It's just people mm. filling time, you know, to, 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 to it's presenteeism, in, economical mm. presenteeism is what it is. Because a yeah. lot of the, you know, we're pulling from both sides now. We have that mentality. At the same time, we're getting to a point, which surely is a good thing, where we can actually leverage the technology that we already have and now it's time to bring technology into this because we are now at such an advanced stage state of technology already much of which is just completely under leveraged like we are we have so much powerful technology most of it most of us don't even leverage even in our day-to-day -day lives there's so many tools that i use that actually save me 30 percent of time in a week easily mm. so i claim that 30 percent back without paying any uh, penalty in productivity. I'm as productive as you, not you specifically, but you, mm. the other individual in a similar scenario. I'm as productive, but I've gained 30% back. The same applies on a societal and on a work level. So I am absolutely 100% convinced because the evidence is on my side that associations, think of them as companies, organizations, they can apply the same principles. They could optimize their structures using mostly technology, that's the beauty of technology, to claim back that time that I'm sort of advocating for contemplation. But that's a willpower, that's a decision-making, that's a leadership issue. 
Mm. So that that's where companies that have that leadership vision are actually starting to really pull ahead of everyone else. This is happening in real time. Is is a lot of this about having the guts to rip up existing protocol and bureaucratic procedures? Associations are very, you know, um, they have their governance and they have ways of doing things. Um, is it is that holding associations back as well? That kind of formal yes. procedural way of working. Absolutely, and I'm going to commit a very public faux pas here and said, say that it's uh, that it's also a generational thing. In many cases, the associations at the head are people who are from slightly older generations who grew up with that very different paradigm, who, who've seen nothing else, for whom this for whom this technological transition is is a is an observable observable fact, but not something that they feel part of. They just like mm. the more subservient to it and and men, in many cases they don't like it they tend to be more luddites so you know not 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 technology fanatics and that's fine no one has to be but you know i think it's a generational thing as well we need yeah. and again that's where i maybe i'm committing some kind of faux pas but we need we need quote unquote younger leaders who preferably in my book understand both paradigms who understand mm. the nine to five concept the the structure of, of, of presenteeism and, and industrialism and, and, you know, capitalism in its current form, but also are seeing and leveraging and understanding the green shoots of that new economy that's emerging. You, you need those leaders because that, that's the only way we're going to change this. So uh, I'm an executive director of an international association. I see this problem in my organization. I see this kind of um, stagnation um, what, just tell me the first thing I should do. Um, I think the first thing, if you do observe that and if you see it, is to be to be brutally honest with yourself and with the teams, and actually put that on the table. Rather than uh, this is another this is a leadership thing again. Rather than pretending that you've got everything under control and you know just delegate and direct and keep the system running, like show that vulnerability towards the teams and say, look. I think we have a potential problem here and I think that we're only going to solve that problem together, not just me telling you what to do. In fact, it's time for you to start telling me what to do. And you telling me what to do is contingent on others telling you what to do, which <laughs> is your membership communities. Mm. The, you know, as, as the old X-Files, I don't know if you ever watched the X-Files, there was a character called Mulder and, and he had this poster and he always said the truth is out there and I sort of always use that as a metaphor to say you're not going to find the answers to those predicaments at the direction level certainly not not even on the team's level but you are going to find it in your communities and in their communities because they also have customers they also have sub communities and so having that vulnerability to say okay we are an association but we no longer need to we, we can be vulnerable enough to say, like, look, we, we are now going to be the forebearers of vulnerability. We're going to say proudly that we are not sure what's going to happen next. And therefore, we want to work with our communities to come up with new ideas, new answers, new innovations. And then that that's not enough. Then actually go to the step of what I was saying of allocating time for resourcefulness, for inner resourcefulness for creativity, for innovation, and then start 
start ideating, start coming up with simple ideas and have the, again, the vulnerability to put them in front of the users very, very quickly. Someone mm. had the idea out there in which events company, I don't know. Someone had the idea, why don't we put concepts on colored cups? And someone had that idea. And now, now it's going to be the norm. I already see it spreading on every event. Like, look at our cups. It's a revolutionary cup thing. You know? <laughs> so, but someone had that idea and expressed that idea. And that only happens in organizations where you have that creative safe haven, as I like to call it. And that comes from leadership. So as a leader, I would say, from now on, we have this creative safe haven, which is a block of time, 10% out of the week, let's say. And maybe it's a space, an actual physical space. doesn't matter that much. That's our creative safe haven. That's where everything can be put on the table. Cup ideas, no matter, no matter what, there is no, you're not going to, it's not output driven. There is mm. no KPI for, the, for that moment. There is no KPI. There is no penalty. You cannot say anything stupid in that zone. There are mm. only ideas. So, so that's where I begin. That sounds like uh, fantastic advice. And I, uh, I just on a personal level, uh, I would echo uh, much of what, what you're saying. I think um, most of us will look at our diaries and think, where is the time here to think? Where is the time here just to stop? And, um, and that's where productivity ultimately comes from, isn't it? Good ideas rather than doing the same, the same thing over and over again. Listen, thanks very much for your time today, Mark. Always My pleasure. a pleasure. Um, your next column is uh, coming out in June. I think any ideas what that's going to be about or are you still, is that a work in progress? No, I'm still tinkering with it. It, it depends on my uh, creative input as well. So I, I try <laughs> to take walks in nature and uh, before, before that's due, something will come up and uh, we'll get a nice column out. Cool. Look forward to it. All right. All the best, Great. Mark. And we'll, right. um, we'll speak later. Thank you, James. Cheers. Cheers.